In this episode of Trial by Stone, I sit down with Daniel Falconer and Stephen Saunders of Weta Workshop. Daniel and Stephen have worked closely with Netflix and The Henson Company on exclusive figures based off characters for Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. This interview was recorded a couple of days before the release of the show via Netflix on August 30th. Thank you, Stephen Saunders and Daniel Falconer for agreeing to this interview and anyone listening Stephen and Daniel both work for Weta we are here today to discuss the figures for the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance which is releasing August 30th and Weta has been well will be sort of releasing amazing figures that I saw up close at San Diego Comic Con a couple months ago um, that blew my mind I mean I you know I'd seen some other Dark Crystal stuff coming out and then I saw Weta's and I was like there's no there's no competition here, so they're amazing. Oh, dude, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. And you got to go to San Diego Comic Con. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it was really great. And I saw, you know, I actually went there um, for the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance panel that they had, and they screened the first film. Actually, uh, I mean, finally, I can sort of go public about this, but I've been hanging out a lot with Louis Leterrier, who directed all 10 episodes, so... Uh, I was with him when he was editing the episodes. I've been spending a lot of time with him. He is an incredible guy, much like Steven. He doesn't, he, he's one of those people where, yes, he's in the film industry, but he doesn't make you feel like an outsider. And sometimes people who work in your industry, they can be really nice, but they don't make you feel like you're a part of the group. But Louie right. is awesome. Right. The show is amazing. And I'm so excited that you guys are sort of on it, essentially. Wow. Well, I, I was excited about what we were doing, but I like after what you just said, I'm not at all jealous, not in any way. Why, uh, why would you say that? Yeah, dream um, come true, really. That, that sounds amazing. Um, I'm Daniel. Hi, everybody. And uh, my buddy, Stephen. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so, so as uh, uh, Jamie said, we, we're both at um, Weta Workshop. Um, so Weta is a bit of a strange animal, and I, I think maybe I should take a moment to sort of describe what it is so that everybody understands. Um, <clears throat> we're basically, we're based in, in Wellington in, in New Zealand, so way down at the bottom end of the world, tiny little country of 5 million people. Um, the city we're in has what, like Wellington's, I think population like 300,000 or something like that. Uh, I think it's 500. Is it 500 now? Okay. Yeah. I haven't kept up with the count, but, um, but anyway, it's, it's the capital, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, we're like not even half a million people. Um, so it's, it's quite, uh, it's kind of a little boutique industry in a sense that um, uh, Weta is, is started off as a very small company um, and has sort of grown with the projects, but we're best known for special effects for film and television, but that doesn't, that certainly doesn't describe everything we do. We, we basically are an artisan studio that, um, that um, our friend and boss, uh, Sir Richard Taylor, uh, established with his wife, um, or partner at the time, uh, Tanya Roger, goodness, like 30 years ago, close to 30 years ago now, basically as a, as a workshop where they and like-minded artistic and creative friends could come together and just make uh, a living making cool stuff. And, and for the most part, that was film and television to begin with, but it's also now all kinds of other things. And basically we try our hands at any kind of um, fun and creative industry, um, <clears throat> regardless of what what it is, as long as it's creatively satisfying and fulfilling and exciting to us. So... Um, we're best known for uh, doing um, physical effects and creatures and uh, armor and weapons and uh, miniatures uh, and and design for uh, the Lord of the Rings. That was kind of the really big thing that put Weta Workshop on the map. Um, and then since then, obviously, The Hobbit, King Kong, Narnia, um, Avatar. District 9. District 9. Um, oh, and um, Stephen, goodness, you should talk about the projects you've been involved with um, Thunderbirds uh, and Blade Runner. And Thunderbirds, we did a Th Thunderbirds remake series. We did uh, miniatures for Blade Runner 2049. We did miniatures for uh, Steven Spielberg's BFG. Yeah. But yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've stepped a little bit away from all that, and I've been working with Daniel on the consumer products team doing uh, doing collectibles, collectible projects. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. So in addition to all that, that film and television work, um, we also do uh, public exhibitions, um, uh, sort of um, uh, 
entertainment experiences. You know, um, we do with advertisements. Uh, we've got a, we've done publishing, um, and now we've also got a whole collectibles arm of the company where basically we, we produce um, beautiful little wee miniatures. Um, uh, collectible art, basically, is what we we try to call it, and uh, mm. some some stuff sort of more at the um, uh, knickknacky kind of you know tr- um, uh, <laughs> what's the word for it a souvenir kind of level, and other stuff is at the super high end uh, level. Like we just um, unveiled last year, our big um, big thing at San Diego Comic Con was a was a one six scale tree beard that stands you know almost a meter tall. I think it is. Um, mm. It's amazing. And, yeah. yeah, slightly over a meter. Really, really cool. Just super cool stuff. The kind of stuff that, that we all get excited about because we're we're big nerds for all the stuff ourselves. You know, I'm sitting in Stephen's um, uh, home right now and it's full of all the same kind of stuff that I have in my home, which is just <laughs> cool Star Wars toys and Star Trek and Blade Runner and dinosaurs, and, and dinosaurs everywhere. Dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, and just full of cool art projects. So so basically the, the short version is Weta does all kinds of stuff, uh, including things. Uh, so we take licenses for properties that we've worked on. So we, we produce a huge and long running line of, of miniature uh, figurines and, and other things like that from the... Lord of the Rings, um, but then also properties that excite us creatively, uh, including uh, back in the 2000s, we did a whole line of uh, Muppet busts, which um, oh, were, were super amazing. fun. Oh my goodness, it was such a dream working on those. Um, I man, I wish we could have done more because there's again very much like the Dark Crystal. There were so many characters to 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 do, and we never mm-hmm. got to all they're, of them. I think they um, were they were the um, they were the coolest things I saw in collectibles at the time when I came to visit Weta. I think it was 2008. They were so beautiful. Hmm. They're really fun. Um, and so that, and then obviously now um, the Dark Crystal. But um, so, yeah, just so stepping back a little bit. So my role um, is that um, I was hired as a designer at Weta Workshop back in the 90s. Um, and um, I was part of a, the design team working on um, Hercules and Xena TV shows and then the Lord of the Rings when that came along and, and other projects since then, uh, designing armor and weapons and creatures and all that kind of stuff as, as part of a team. So we basically was a group of us who would sit around in a room um, all day and play the what if game. We basically, we would get information from the script and it would be up to us to design what does this world look like? What do these characters look like? And so we just pitch drawing after drawing after drawing, sculpture after sculpture yeah, of so ideas. Yeah, so you guys did design back then almost all in one room through yeah, sculpture, all, drawing, <clears throat> yeah, any kind sketches. of media. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it was really fun. And basically, you'd present all that material to the director, and the director would choose what mm. they liked. And and <laughs> and here's and my education for getting that job was basically as a kid watching things like the behind the scenes videos, documentaries for the Dark Crystal and Star Wars, and all this stuff that I grew up with. Because I'm old enough to have I saw the Dark Crystal when it came out in cinemas. Uh, I was about seven, I think. And and that was mind blowing to me. But then what was truly transformative was watching the behind the scenes documentary that came out on television. And, and we recorded it on our VHS player at home. <laughs> and I, I watched that thing until the tape was like so scratchy and worn and stretched. It was barely discernible. Um, thank goodness for YouTube now and, and, and for the DVDs, you can go back and find all this old stuff. Um, but that, that opened my eyes up to a world where, wow, you can actually get a job in an ima- creating imaginary worlds and telling stories. And that, that kind of set me on this, this path. So, so the Dark Crystal, I owe a huge, huge debt to because it was uh, Jim Henson and everybody there, uh, Brian Froud, you know, what they created was so, so inspiring to me. How about you, Stephen? What's your what was your path into the industry? I feel like Jamie and I have, have had this conversation. We have a couple times. <laughs> oh right, when you guys were talking Blade Runner, right? This, this was yeah. on your other podcast on on the Blade Runner yeah. Fields Fields of Shalantha? Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. Uh, Shoulder of Orion, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so similar story for me. I grew up in South Africa, and. I think pop culture through film, through toys, through um, through almost um, a little bit this lowbrow entertainment was my was my whole range of exposure to art. Lowbrow. So, so, How dare you say lowbrow? <laughs> um, I uh, yeah. So I associated high quality art rather than lowbrow high quality art with 
really well-made films, really well-made TV shows, well-made toys, <clears throat> and similarly got to the conclusion that I wanted to do this stuff for a living, uh, and but do this stuff seriously as a career. So rather than choosing the path of being a fine artist, I chose the path of trying to collaborate with the best people I could find in this endeavor of building complicated secondary worlds, world building, which really is one of Weta's strengths. Um, and I came out to New Zealand in 2008 to try and convince them to hire me to work on The Hobbit. And uh, Daniel was actually the person that toured me around. Toured was me. I really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. You don't even remember. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but once I got here, I got so entrenched that I'm still here. <laughs> we were almost, lucky. To, almost 10 years later. Lucky yeah. to keep you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so so both Stephen and I um, less involved with the film work. Well, that's not true. We both have some involvement with the film work that gets done as well. But but both of us at the moment um, uh, are involved with the, our collectibles um, um, arm of the company, our consumer products arm of, of Weta, where we basically get to dream up and create um, cool stuff to put on your shelf. Um, and I think a lot of the time the decisions that are made around what that would be are driven by what would we love to have in our homes, you know, what totally. are we all passionate about? Because yeah. I think you get the best work from people when you, when it's stuff that people are, are passionate about and that is close to their hearts. Uh, and that's definitely very, very true of um, the Dark Crystal and pretty much anything Henson's related for so many of us here at the workshop. It's uh, it's such a source of inspiration. So when the word came down that um, <clears throat> they had, the powers that be had been talking to um, Netflix about um, acquiring a license to produce collectibles based on this uh, new television show, which we'd been hearing about that for so long. It was like there was going to be a movie and then there was going to be, you know, all these other things. I mean, you probably know much more about that than, than I do, but I've just been following the news a little bit and always hoping that it would happen, you know, because of what that meant to me. Um, but when we finally heard, actually, yeah, there's a license. I'm like, okay, well, this is real now. This is actually happening. Um, mm. And without seeing anything, uh, any material, visual materials or knowing what the story was or anything like that, I was like, oh, my God, we've got to go for this. We've got to, we've got to do this. Um, so when like, was that? Sorry to that interrupt was you. What, uh, I feel like that was two years been... ago. Oh, so they're, they haven't even, they weren't even production then. 18 months ago, maybe, I think. Wow. I feel like I got involved about a year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah so I think it would have been about that. Ago, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so at that point, um, there was no visual material for us to look at. But once we signed up with them, um, they Netflix was incredibly generous with the amount of material they shared and the trust. Um, when you take a license to work on something um, as a, uh, you know, as a licensee making collectibles or toys or, or whatever, um, you're kind of at the mercy of the creatives and and the production team in terms of and marketing team in terms of how much they want to share and how much they want to keep close to their vests because they're worried about stuff leaking out. Um, and so we've worked with companies in the past where you get very, very little, and it's actually very difficult to do anything because you're working in a in a bit of a vacuum. But um, this was anything but that. Um, they were so generous with the amount of material. First, we got um, concept art, uh, which was amazing to see, um, especially when I realized, you know, immediately upon seeing it, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is Brian Froud art. Oh, wow. They got him back. This is so great. Um, and then um, actually starting to see uh, photography from on set. Um, and they shared uh, literally thousands of images with us um, from on wow. set. Um, wow. And more than that, we were given we were given access to, um, to outlines so that we actually knew the storyline too, because it was really important that we could actually contextualize what we mm. were, you know, because it's up to us, us to pitch what we were, where we, what we thought we should make for them. And they would have input and ideas and, and reactions and suggestions for us. But, um, that's very difficult to do when you don't know what the story is. And so they, they allowed us to know the story, which meant being completely spoiled. So I know what's going to happen, which on the one hand, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm a little saddened about because when the show drops, I'll know what's going to happen. But the lovely thing about this world is it's so visually dense. There's so much to it that, that I know it'll be a completely new experience seeing it um, rather than just hearing about it or reading about it. So, so that's okay. And um, yeah, so I was having little people were probably, we have an open plan office and I'm sure there were folks working who would hear me making little wee squeaky noises every now and again from my desk because I got to amazing parts in the story and you know or, or a new image would pop up and I'd be like oh oh my god 
you know. <laughs> and we've all seen the trailers now, so we see, we've seen how beautiful the show looks. Well, you've seen the first episode, um, yeah. Oh, I've, is, um... I've seen more than the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> of course you have. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, the fact that we're even we're all talking about this suggests to me that the confidence that we have in it is well placed. Um, that uh, if you're still this excited after having seen it, that that's good news for all of us, right? Oh yeah. I you know I'm. It's my all-time favorite film uh, in terms of, like, wonder and uh, the first film I saw, even after Star Wars, that I was like, where is this world I want to go? So to have people in charge of that world, to bring it back and do it in such an authentic way, it's just right there is is honor enough but just to to have been able to see it and sort of see behind the scenes like this is what we're doing this is what it looks like it's you know you guys know as as you have been given access to all of that material it's it's overwhelming but it's 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 surreal it it should kind of be immersed to see brian froud's drawing to see brian froud um this kind of hollywood or henson legacy people it's it's just amazing yeah, absolutely. And and also to see a friend there too, um, Toby Froud, Brian's son, um, actually came and worked with us for a while on uh, on King Kong uh, back in the day um, at, at Weta Workshop. Um, and Toby's an absolutely lovely guy. And we've sort of stayed loosely in touch over the years. But of course, I reached out to him once I heard about this and, and uh, we reconnected. It's in good hands. And, uh, you know, you watch this, these promotional materials that have come out, these little behind the scenes uh, featurettes and, and the trailers, and you can just feel the love and the um, the care and the authenticity is just oozing from this project. It's everything that we as fans could have hoped it could be, I, I think. So, yeah, that's exciting. That's awesome. So in terms of the Best process, collectibles, yeah. yeah, like yeah. how, okay, so sort of the, the bureaucracy part of this is done. You have this account, you have this contract. What's the next phase? Uh, it becomes, it's up, it's up to us to pitch what we think we could produce um, for them. Uh, so um, we kind of have to decide what product types we'd like to go for. And some of that's dictated by the by the license res- uh, constraints. But without boring people on that too much on that, we have a relatively free hand to to say, hey, well, what we'd like to do is is this, because this is a type of product that we do quite well, or well, this is one we think will be popular. Um, and one of the things we went after straight away, because it's been very good for us in the past, was one sixth scale polystone collectible statues. Um, and the reason that that's appealing is it's a really nice size. It means that characters that are human size are around about a foot tall, which is quite a nice size to get a lot of detail in um, and really, you know, do honor to the characters. You can come up with some really cool poses. Um, and, um, and of course, with the Dark Crystal, you've got such a size range in the characters that uh, it meant that we could do some that were quite small and might be a little more affordable. And then we could do some that were quite large and that, you know, are definitely a bit more premium, um, but that they'd all be in the same scale. And that if you were the kind of person who wanted to buy a whole collection, you could, you know, you get them all and put them on your shelf together and they would all work in relation to each other. They would all feel like um, uh, a cohesive whole. So that that was one thing that we uh, were passionate about getting and luckily we were able to. Um, and then we also wanted to do some um, sort of some uh, accessible uh, jewelry inspired by the Dark Crystal. And we were looking at prop replicas and some other product types, which we haven't yet unveiled. But we've got some other stuff in development that I think it's probably a little bit too early to talk about. But mm. but um, but we're hoping to expand, you know, assuming that the that people like what we're making and assuming that people want more of it. We're, we've definitely got plans to expand and do a, a lot more. Um, it really depends on um, on what people react to, what they like, and um, uh, yeah, what they how. They, <laughs> I it really, unfortunately it does all come back down to sales. It's like <laughs> how many units people buy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, you know that, that it's tragically that that is you know we're all creative types, and so basically we just want to make cool stuff for its own sake because it's fun making it. But in the end, it has to be something that that people are, are buying, and and therefore we can afford to make more of. So hopefully they do. Um, but yeah, so we pitched to them that we, that primarily um, we want to do this range of statues and uh, and have in that range you know skeksis and gelfling and and um, podlings and little creatures and you know bigger stuff as well, all kinds of things. Um, uh, which luckily Netflix were like, yeah, go for it, great, we love what you guys do. Um, more of that would be fantastic. So um, and and as I say, they they shared all this wonderful reference imagery. Um, 
that we could pour over and and work with, including um, in some cases we had uh, digital assets to work with. Most of the time it was just photography, but lots of photography. Mm. But we also in some cases had scans of the puppets. I mean, Stephen, you could probably talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I can do. Yep. Yeah. So um, just to clarify, Daniel is our art director and for the most part, concept designer for the consumer products range. Oh, yeah, Is that we didn't fair talk to about say? that, did yeah. we? Yeah. Um, so I'm taking cues from Daniel's beautiful uh, drawings. And I think that the goal with those drawings often is to try and bring a little bit of storytelling and a little mm. bit of... Um, like, we don't just make statues. I think we are trying to tap back into that world building and into the storytelling with each figure we do. Mm. And Daniel captures that beautifully. So where I step in is basically I get to take one of those drawings and create the figure from it. Uh, and then we had the advantage of really great scans of the puppets and the sets and all sorts of things from set as digital um, assets that we can start from. So our puppets are, or our sculptures start from those scans. Um, so they're really actually quite true to what was on set mm. um, and then we pull that into into zbrush or in some cases we didn't have or decided to do it in clay depending on what artist is available so a few of the the sculptures are done entirely in clay and i'll just do little bits of jewelry and things in in zbrush in digital um yeah, the process is quite fluid, isn't it? And sometimes on a yeah. single sculpture, there'll be some bits that are done digitally and some bits that are hand sculpted. Um, yeah, it really depends on flowing backwards and forwards. On who's who can be shaved away from from other film work and <laughs> spend time. So, so the choice of whether it's a digital sculpture or or a physical clay sculpture really depends on who's available and how they want to do it. And luckily on this job, uh, we had sculptors falling over each other to try yeah, and um, get yeah. on it um, because it is, you know, such a it's it's such a prestigious project to work on um, and everybody has such a love and care for it. Um, in fact, we had probably had more sculptors trying to get onto it than, than actually mm. we could in the end. We um, um, So... So yeah, so we would come up with um, concepts based on on what we knew from the story and the reference materials, um, and uh, and I always try and design them so that there's the possibility of a little bit of um, interactive posing that you can do. So you know, if you've got two characters that share a scene together, we would try and design the, the pose so that um, they could be put on the shelf together and look like they were in the same moment. You know, so they might lock eyes with each other, or they might be. Um, facing off against each other, or they might be, um, you know, just in uh, sympathetic poses. We even briefly experimented with the idea of actually having bases that could lock into each other. But ultimately, mm. we, we ditched that idea because we were worried that it was too constraining for collectors and that, you know, everybody has their own different shelf spaces and things like that. And, and so you don't want to lock people into just one way of displaying something. So in the end, we just settled on, on little round bases. But um, for a while there, um, We've got three size of bases, um, depending on what size the sculpture is. So the uh, Baffy, the Fizz Gig, is on the smallest size base. And then there's a, a slightly larger one that we've currently got our podlings and gelflings on, and then a larger one than that that the Skeksis are currently standing on. And those three round base sizes are, in relation to each other size-wise, based on the sizes of the three sons of Thra. Um, and, of course, Augra's the eye of Augra. So uh, the notion was that uh, then we would also have potentially um, uh, we had talked about having um, bites out of some of them or um, sort of satellite um, half circles on some of them that made it look like the various worlds were eclipsing each other or, you know, the various mm. star stars were crossing each other because um, we kind of thought that that really suited the whole the mythology of, of, of the Dark Crystal. Uh, as I say, we backed away from the notion of them actually being able to connect together, but instead we still have these three base sizes that are based on the three on the was, three suns. It was a really cool idea, and we really spent a lot of time trying to figure mm -hmm. out how to make it work. <clears throat> I, I found that uh, what happened was the sculptures got just a little too close to each other. Like yeah. they didn't have space to breathe, so when you have the bases connect, it's cool, but they're very... 
up in each other's personal space. Yeah, which made it actually kind of tricky when you have sculptures, uh, statues that are of significantly different heights. So, for example, yeah. if you had a Skeksis yeah. and, a, uh, and a Gelfling that were supposed to be facing off against each other, um, it was difficult to get their eye lines to work because the Skeksis was basically staring down towards us. You know, when you had them so close to each other, the Skeksis was having to look really, really low, mm, and then yeah. the Gelfling was having to stare straight up into space. So, so um, yeah, having light slightly, um, being able to pose them slightly further apart works a bit better in that case. I, I do I do like how we try and make the sculptures interact with each other even if you're just buying one there is the potential for it to interact with the other statues which I guess is an attempt to make them to spark the the completionist in the collectible <laughs> um, buyer to try and get them all because well, they do they do sort of relate they in a do beautiful way to and, each other and i know i have those tendencies right like i'm <laughs> i'm one of these guys that can't just have one of something i've got to have all of them yeah. um which is really dangerous and and uh you know ask my wife about that sometime um but <laughs> but yeah so there's definitely a little bit of that that we have in mind when we're, when we're creating them. Um, but more, it's just, you just want to tell a story. And mm. so, and, and a story works when it's got multiple characters on a scene. So to that end, while our initial launch wave um, that's available now, uh, I think by the time this podcast comes out, I imagine that the Emperor will also be available to to order. Um, but initially we've launched with um, with Hup the Podling and, and Rian the Gelfling, Baffy the Fizzgig and uh, and Skexo, the Emperor, uh, Emperor Skexis. Um, uh, but we've got more on the way. So, yeah, um, yeah. and in fact, uh, we've got some materials that are going to be coming out very, very shortly, which will kind of illuminate some of the other characters that are coming. Um, the challenge for us was, um, oh my goodness, where do you even start? Which characters do you do first? Um, we really wanted to get um, uh, Rian, uh, Brea, and uh, Deet out as in, in the in the beginning, but uh, for various reasons, and you know, production reality set in. You have a plan, but plans always have to change. And so Brea is a little bit later coming out. She's on, she's on her way. Um, Stephen was working on her this week, right? Mm, so yep, yep, yep. So she'll be coming too, um, and then Deet a little bit further down the track. <clears throat> but likewise with the Skeksis, it's like, oh my goodness, where do you start? And and usually everybody starts with the Chamberlain um, Skeksil because he's just well, he's so great and he's like the one you remember the most. Um, I think casual fans remember we remember him the most from the original film and he plays such a big part in this new show. Um, and so we definitely want to do him, but we also thought it'd be kind of fun to take a character like the Emperor, who we we barely saw in the original film, but who plays such an important role in this new series, and who's such an imposing and beautiful design. Um, it'd be kind of cool to start off with him as a as our lead Skeksis. So that's why he ended up being the first one that we went with. But we have other Skeksis uh, on the way, um, and which you'll see very very soon. Um, Including some really well, they're all cool, but mm, some really, really cool ones. I mean, in my who knows whether this can ever happen, but in my my dream is that by you know five years down the track, we've done all of them. Um, that would be amazing. I uh, Daniel's desk is just behind mine, and I occasionally look over and see him going through photographs and looking at all the other characters we haven't done yet, and I can see in his mind <laughs> he's thinking, "Yep, we have to do this one, we have to do this one." Yeah, because awesome. they're all beautiful designs. We're so spoiled for choice, right? There are so many amazing designs in the in this in this this film. There's so many characters that all yeah. of them scream out to be turned into a beautiful statue. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's gonna have their favorite that they want to bring home with them. Are any of the the Gelfling statues? Do they have their wings visible? Can you tell? Can you say that or not? Uh, you can. See, so the way Brea's pose, she's standing, um, so you can see her wings poking out from uh, behind her clothing. And we are hoping that we can do Deet in a flying pose. But oh that, yeah, that's, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I just think that'd be super cool, right? Oh, um, I, so sold. Sold. But yeah, but, but don't hold me to that. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> holding you to it. It's too late. production realities around it that may, <laughs> yeah. may influence whether that happens or not, but we would love to. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Again, it's, um, yeah, I hope so. I really would love to. So I want to ask you, though, specifically, like, okay, in the, in the process of design and coming up with whatever, how do you mm -hmm. lock in? How do you guys lock in a, okay, this is what Skexo is going to look like. This is his right. pose. Who, who makes those decisions? 
So I come up with ideas and sometimes there'll be multiple pitches, multiple you know concepts, and other times there'll be just one that we all feel strongly about. Um, we'll discuss it internally first um, and get a consensus there. Um, Richard Taylor, who runs Weta Workshop, who's our, our creative director and, and the founder of the company, he, uh, the whole reason the company got into collectibles in the first place was because he has a massive collection of, of garage kit um, statues and, and vinyl collectibles and stuff himself. Mm. Uh, so he's very, very passionate about this stuff. So he uh, will generally um, get involved in that conversation as well and have direct input. In fact, um, a lot he's influenced a lot of our character selection on this one. He's like, oh, you've got to do this character. You've got to do that one. Um, so he'll get involved and and give his sign off on it as well, uh, and then we'll we'll throw those concepts to the uh, to Netflix in this case. Uh, they will take a look at it and uh, discuss internally whether they think it works, and they may have some notes for us on that. Um, they certainly had some notes for us on which Skeksis they thought we should consider, mm-hmm. um, and they had some notes for us on on our golfing poses and stuff like that. Um, so so they definitely have a voice in that conversation as well. Um, and sometimes that means that we may do a couple more rounds of drawings uh, and photo bashes to try and get it to the point where everybody's completely happy with it and confident. Or other times they're like, yep, cool, go for it. Um, uh, and then it goes to our sculptors who will initially do a quick mock-up, um, just a really rough uh, bash out to try and either in, either in uh, digitally or physically. Um, to, to get the pose working in 3D because, of course, it's easy to accidentally tell a lie when you're drawing because you're only working in 2D. Yeah. And so sometimes you can actually, um, you know, something looks great flat, but then the moment you turn it around, you realize, oh, actually that leg has, can't yeah, stand that way. It has to be a beautiful looking object from all angles. Yes. Yep. And that sometimes mean that means that a little bit of adjustment needs to be made here and there yeah so the 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 two-dimensional concept is generally a suggestion um and then we lock it down further once we get into into three-dimensional maquetting a maquette is a a three-dimensional sketch um once we get to that point and then again everybody has their input and we tweak and then off we go is then uh, once everybody's agreed we um it's with the sculptor is free to start uh, detailing away and finishing up the sculpt which is a process that takes many weeks, um, depending on how um, large and how detailed the the sculpture actually is. Um, the fastest one in our dark crystal line to produce would have been um, would have been Baffy. Um, he was, <laughs> but you know, um, ask uh, Jane Winley, our sculptor, been? who sculpted uh, Baffy, the Fizz gig. You said um, it would have been like it. It wasn't. Oh, it was. No, no, no. no, no oh, okay, it was. okay, okay. I was just, uh, yeah, no. Yeah, so Baffy was the fastest one. Um, and um, <clears throat> Jane uh, did a beautiful job with him. And then, you know, all the sculpting by hand. He was a physical sculpt. So sculpting in by hand, all those little wee um, hairs and things like that. It's um, incredibly painstaking. Um, so she worked on that. And then uh, probably got the Gelflings and, and Hup would have been the fastest after Hup that. Hup was pretty quick, yeah. Hup. I did a little experiment with Hub. The scan f- from from set, the puppet scan, was so good and so expressive that I more or less did a quick pose in ZBrush and printed it out. So we 3D printed it at scale, molded him, and cast him in Chavant clay, and then I tool finished him in clay. So that's quite like a hard clay, isn't it? You can really it's a, it's a hard. It. It's like a wax, like almost like a jewelry wax, where you can go and get really nice extra little details and things. So he was, he was sort of a chimera of uh, digital and physical working together. Mm. Uh, yeah, and he was really quick. But that was because the 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 three dimensional um, asset that we were provided by so good, was yeah. so so good in that particular case. That's not always the case, and also. Um, we often want to, you know, um, give a, often the things are scanned, um, in a very neutral, um, pose or a very neutral Mm -hmm. expression. And so we obviously then want to bring a bit more life to the sculpture. So there's usually a lot more working into it that goes on once we get uh, a raw scan. It's not a case of, oh yeah, there's the scan, stick it, stick stick that head on a body and (laughs) off we go. There's a lot more to it than that. So when we were working on (coughs) the Gelflings, I've been looking after the Gelflings so far and, I found that they needed just a little bit of, of course, when you when you look at the puppet without a puppeteer touching it, it's mm. it's sort of like um, a piece of wardrobe. You know, it's it's life isn't there. The life comes from a puppeteer picking it up and making it a character. So we we had to do a lot of finding that character in the statue, not necessarily relying too much on the digital scan. Mm. To make it feel like a live character, um, 
So it's adjust, yeah, so, yeah, adjusting adjusting bits here and there, staying true to what it needs to be, but making it feel like there's actually, well, like there's a puppeteer creating the character out of it. And I've noticed with uh, Skexo, you know, having seen him up close, like the better, the closer you get, the better he looks. Sometimes with collectibles, I'm sure you guys know, the closer yeah. you get, the worse it looks. You know, like, oh, this looks yep. great far away. And then you come up and you're like, the paint job's not great. But Skexo is so rich. And his clothing look like fabric. Like, there's those photos that you guys have released of Skexo. The background is black. It's so rich and so dense that, yeah, it's really, really amazing work. Well, uh, I'll I'll certainly pass that on to our sculptor. That was um, Howell, uh, was the sculptor who worked on that particular piece, um, okay. and, and he really did an amazing job. And that was an entirely, I think, the head was based on a digital scan, wasn't it? Um, but yeah. then, but then he worked into it he physically was, as well. He was entirely a, a clay sculpture. But we we did the same thing with a head. We took the scan of the head and printed it out and cast it in clay, so you can retexture back into it. Yeah. So how then work back into it? And but then all those all those those costume elements that you're talking about, how um, sculpted by hand in clay. So um, I just want to give honor to that sculptor. He's uh, how's done an amazing job. Um, he's yeah, he's an amazing, experienced sculptor. But this is his first collectible i think he's done yeah. with us yep yeah 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 it's got such a beautiful uh, yeah but style to it. beautiful beautiful work um so i appreciate your kind words um that what you're talking about there to me is attention to detail um and you know that to me is intrinsic in this property in the dark crystal and that's the thing i love about the film itself the closer you look the more you can see and and you can just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and there's more and more to see so we really aspire to bring that to our collectibles as well and honor the world the same way so that there are details in there and little cool things i mean you know one of the things i just loved um, when we were looking at the photography of of the emperor was the fact that he's got his little wee second set of arms that you can see popping out the back yeah. of his costume and they, they, they're sort of holding on to the, the, uh, the ornamental carapace that he wears. Um, and that's, yeah, just so cool. I love those kind of details. It was really fun working into into that and, and bringing that all into the collectible and also make sure it's accurate. Um, we The initial sculpt, um, uh, there was some reference missing from, from looking down into it. So we had to, Howard, to kind of um, infer what was going on in there. And initially he put he put five fingers on it because, you know, why wouldn't you? And then and then it was realized, oh, actually, no, um, Skeksis, of course, have four fingers on all their, uh, their uh, or four digits on all of their fingers. So, so those um, those uh, little extra thumbs that he put on there were whipped off. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and initially there were some photographs of that that got out, and I actually saw some chatter. Actually, just this week uh, we saw some chatter from fans. Oh yeah, I know those people. Um, <laughs> which is great, I, but I see I love that because those are our people, right? Those are people who are every bit as as as, as caught up and and interested in the details as we are. And so, so when people see that kind of stuff and go, hey, that's wrong, I'm like, yes, you're dead right. And we will do everything in our power to make sure that it is correct. Unfortunately, in this case, that's fixed. Um, so it's, you know, hope we hopefully, hopefully people never find, uh, you know, hopefully that's the last time people find, you know, something like that to, uh, to say, hey, this isn't quite right. But by the same token, I love the fact that people do because they care about it. Uh, and we care about it too. And so we're desperately keen to make sure that everything is right. Um, where, where, Usually in a position where we were involved, certainly you were involved with the original character, concept design, oh, on costume, other projects, right? on yeah. other projects. Yep. So we know <clears throat> the object that we're creating a collectible for very, very well. It was actually quite enjoyable to find new things and discover new thoughts behind how these characters were designed and made. I did, um, I did some jewelry for, for that piece, for Skexo. Uh, in digital and I could find there is similar motifs and forms in the jewelry and the staffs and the the rings and things that all these different um, Skixis characters have there's like a motif that crosses over Absolutely. and it's really interesting to see how they've been uh, repurposed or used re 
repeatedly on different characters. Really interesting stuff. Yeah, is there, there's a design language that's established there. There's a design and, language. And as, yeah. as folks who work on films ourselves, you know, we <clears throat> we know that the the efforts that go into creating that kind of stuff and maintaining that consistency and, and putting meaning in, because when you're making a film, you're creating a whole bunch of visual material that sits on a screen. And some of it's really important, the characters, the expression, the storytelling, and some of it is there to support that and sits in the background. But something has to go there no matter what. So it may as well be something that has meaning rather than something arbitrary. And so we've always mm -hmm. prided ourselves in the film work we do by bringing meaning into everything and making sure that everything has a reason for being there. And so when you go to see a film or in this case, a television show, or we're given photographic reference to work from, to make collectibles from, and you see that same attention to detail, that same love of, of detail and all that meaning that's gone into it it just i don't know me personally it lights me up I, I get excited as a fan when i see that kind of stuff and it um it's a pleasure to be able to, to try and bring it into what we're making i think it's one of the strengths of how we how we do collectibles at wet is that we are all involved in filmmaking we are all filmmakers so we try and bring much of the same methodology of how we create worlds into our collectibles um, which is an interesting puzzle to solve, but there's definitely that inherent filmmaker sense in, I think even at Weta, there's, there's a, a history of doing maquettes for the film as a design maquette that ended up being a collectible. Yeah, that's happened yeah. a few times. Yeah, so there's a very clear direction. It's like a clear offshoot of our filmmaking that we ended up doing collectibles. Hmm. So what would be the... In terms of let's let's just say let's talk about the Rianne piece, which again yep. is really really incredible. What would be from concept to finished product? What's the time on that? How long, how long do you guys give it? Or is there not like a time? It's just when it's done. I mean, I know the film is coming or the show is coming out soon, but I also know the pieces don't launch. You can't even get one until February of 2020. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. The, the pre-orders are up up for those pieces now, but the actual um, they're being manufactured as we as we speak, but they won't finally ship out and get into people's hands until later. Um, so that that. Those timelines are sometimes quite tricky for us to work out, and things do slip. Um, you know, real production realities happen. Uh, um, generally, for us, um, it's between 18 months to a year, well, a year to 18 months to from start to finish, from concept to actually getting something done. Um, just because there are so many steps in the process, um, <clears throat> and various different approvals, and then you know you've got uh, your uh, even even once with the sculpt is done, you've got sculpt approval steps to go through and then potentially tweaks, then the item has to be uh, taken apart and molded and, you know, uh, paint masters and, and mold masters created those, those the work on them is done. So there, there are months and months of, of, of that process um, before you even get to the point where then it can be actually uh, reproduced in, in our in our factories. Um, so the um, and then shipped out to warehouses and out around the world. You know, you are talking, you know, a year at the minimum and 18 months more likely, sometimes mm -hmm. even more than that. Um, so it is quite tricky when you're working a long way and you've got things you want, you've got dates you want to hit, like, you know, the debut of a, of a TV series. Um, uh, at the very least, we're like, well, if we can't at least ship them by then, certainly we can get the pre-orders up by then so that people can see them when the show is coming out and, and you know, have, have an opportunity to, to become, to collect them if they want to. Um, but then, you know, we're hoping to keep making these for years as well. So hopefully as the series continues, we can keep pumping these out and, and also help give um, fans like us of the Dark Crystal something to get excited about in the in the, the, the wait between seasons, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, you know, hey, well, if, uh, we, we may have a year to wait for the next season perhaps, but maybe we've only got, um, you know, eight weeks to wait for the next statue or something like that. In terms of actual production, so... Yep. A piece is finished, it's been signed off, everything looks great. How is it actually produced? From what I could see of a teaser image that you guys released, it looked like all of these were painted by hand, but I wasn't yeah. sure. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, they're painted by hand. Uh, definitely, there's no mechanism in the process there. So so we have our, our, our masters painted at, uh, at Weta, um, <clears throat> and then those go to our incredibly um, skilled uh, 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 painters in the factory who then replicate uh, what, our, what our painters have created, um, and those are the production pieces that then come out. 
so in generally speaking they should match what um you know what we have produced in the workshop sometimes there are slight changes where we've had to tweak the paint here and there for various reasons but for the most part um we do our best to try and make sure that they are as close as possible to to the the originals that we've produced um the prototypes yeah and uh i don't know if this is too like detailed i'm just like so do you have again for safer skexo are would there be like okay we need 500 painted and ready to go like how do you know how many to make oh that's that's the uh, big yeah. challenge that's yeah so figuring out um so skexo is going to be a limited edition piece um uh but even even for the open edition pieces uh, such as uh, rian and, and hup uh, where we say, you know, you know what, we're just going to keep making these as long as people want them. You still have to decide exactly how many you're going to begin with uh, to meet to meet demand, and how many you're going to ship with, and you know how many you might do in a, in a subsequent run. Um, but for a character like Skexo, um, excellent question. He is going to be limited edition, so we have to figure out what's the number that we want to hit, which gives everybody enough of a chance to get one who wants one, um, but then also. Um, doesn't we don't make so many that then there are hundreds sitting in warehouses that take years to sell because nobody wants that either. Um, so ideally, we want to we want to try and find a number there that that um, is the sweet spot between um, being limited and and sought after, uh, but not being so exclusive that you leave a whole lot of people with with a bad taste in their mouth because they they didn't manage to get one because they sold out too quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's a really that's that that that's the million dollar question right there. That's like <laughs> getting that number right is really tough because of course also the fewer you make, the more expensive they tend to have to be because you've still got to make, you know, it's a business at the end of the day and you've still got to, to make back your investment and, and, and all the tooling and the, and the production of this piece. So the fewer you make means the fewer you have to get that money back. Um, whereas the, the more you make, then the, 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 the cheaper they can potentially be. But then, you know, you run the risk of having too many. Um, and that's the last thing we want as well. There's, there's no perfect system for figuring this out when whenever you're making new pieces of pop culture whether it's a new film or a new collectible you really have to almost go by gut instinct to try and figure out how popular is it going to be yep. how much of a demand is there actually going to be it's the constant struggle that's why we have so many sequels because at least a sequel then has some predictability on the popularity of it right Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's a challenge for us. Um, a great example, um, as we record this just last week for uh, the Lord of the Rings um, and Middle-earth uh, collectibles, we launched uh, Galadriel in her dark and frightening form. Oh, yeah. The scene Beautiful. Of- yeah. Oh, thank you. That uh, yeah, it's a it's a gorgeous piece sculpted by uh, Brigitte West, who's uh, one of our more most experienced and, and talented sculptors. Um, and um, yeah, stunning piece. But she that sold out in I think that had an edition size of 600, and it sold out in 88 minutes. So, um, yeah. so that's one where. Um, it was very, very sought after, uh, and we produced quite a limited run. Um, so I think in some cases we are a little, probably a little on the conservative side, and we'll tend to produce fewer in the hopes that uh, you know, so that we uh, can be assured that that piece is going to move quickly. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is, if if you're somebody out there who may be interested in the Emperor, don't wait around too long. <laughs> Yeah, that's also Absolutely. not the first time. This has happened with a few of our pieces that they sell out within the first hour or two. And it of can going be pre-order. It can be surprising to us too, which ones move really, really fast and which ones um, are a little slower. Um, it's 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 very hard to predict. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> we need an uh, an orrery to look into the you know <laughs> predict these things. I think. In terms of pieces that are ready to go, even though they're not going to be sold until February, is that because you're trying to finish the stock of them? Like, so you'll have however many pieces slated to for for Rian or for Skexo or for Bafi. You're trying to sort of finish that line before you start selling them. Is that how it goes? You'll You'll finish the number that we've initially decided to make first and then ship it all out at once. Yep. It won't, I don't think it drip feeds. Right? No, no. So, But what we may do is do subsequent. For those open edition pieces where there's no limit on how many we can produce, if the initial runs, if say we say we produce 500 or 1,000 initially, if that sells 
quickly they and the pre-orders sell out we'll we'll hit go button on doing on doing a bunch more but it takes that time between now and february for the factory to produce them all and ship them all out um, and send them all out to everyone um, but we're committed to those those are happening those are those are being made right now for sure um, and they're available to to pre-order right now um, <clears throat> either through us or through other retailers who stock them Uh, but meanwhile, while that's happening, we're not sitting on our hands. We've got other pieces coming along. So you'll yeah. see Brea very, very soon. She's going to follow pretty soon. Uh, we've got, uh, what are we allowed to say? <laughs> I, I, I think that's probably all we're allowed to say at this point. Well, let's say let's say for sure that there are there are one or two more Skeksis also following in quick succession uh, that you guys will see yeah. really, really soon um, and some other characters. Um, yeah, I don't want to say too much because it's also kind of nice to reveal these things as surprises for people too. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally. But we've definitely more news coming on those, you know, and also, you know, it's like opening your, your Christmas presents um, early, you know, <laughs> so um, we want to want to make sure that we save a few surprises for down the line. But but rest assured, there are there are definitely more coming in all the different size ranges, more Gelfling, more Skeksis, other characters as well. Um, you know, uh, there there are certainly more to Thra than Skeksis and Gelflings. Uh, so without saying too much, uh, there are there are definitely other species and other other creatures on their way too. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms we, of your we, your, oh, go ahead. I was just going to add to that that we are in a strange position where. We're also making the stuff for ourselves, so we'll keep making what we would want to own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially with me and Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in fact, it can get the, the the debates around what should we make next um, sometimes can be really quite quite animated, you know, because there are only so many that, that you can make in a in a given period. You don't want to make too many, and then and then then you know nobody can afford to buy them to, to collect them all. Mm. Um, but uh, so, and with a with a property like this where you've just got such a rich um, smorgasbord of characters to choose from, um, everybody has their little champion, you know. So somebody's saying, oh, we've got to do this character, and somebody's like, oh no, but that means we can't do this one next, you know. And, and it, it becomes a quite a challenge. Um, and a battle to figure out, you know, <laughs> which one's going to get out next, and weighing the various, you know, merits and, and so on of each character. Um, the Lord of the Rings line is a great example, though, where we've had years to to work our way through it. Um, that was a that was a line that we started producing statues for back in um, 1999, I think it was. Uh, we started mm. prototyping those, and and with a few interruptions, it's been going ever since. So we've got literally hundreds of characters um, done for that, and we've had the chance to go back and re visit some because of course you know 20 years on from when we started we can look at some of those early sculpts and go you know what we can do a better job than that now and so we'll go back and we'll do a new Frodo or a new Aragorn or, or multiple new Gandalf Stephen how many how many Gandalfs have you sculpted Stephen I think I'm just behind Gary Gary Hunt is a colleague of mine that sculpted him as well I think I've done seven and he might have done six wow different Gandalfs like different Gandalfs yeah. <laughs> So we're hoping, we're really, really hoping, um, because we love this property so much, we love the Dark Crossel so much, uh, we're really hoping that this will also be one of those long-running collectible mm. series and, and that over the years to come, you know, people will be able to build their collection of all the Skeksis or, you know, uh, a suite of different Gelflings and other. And, and also, the other thing I'm, I'm excited about with it is all these other little creatures, you know. It's just like one of the coolest scenes in the original Dark Crystal movie to me was the the scene where the camera just took the moment to just drift along the riverbank and, and film all these wonderful little wee creatures popping their heads out of the reeds while while um, uh, <clears throat> while Kira's singing her song. Um, it's all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, I, I want those little characters. That's, that's my favorite thing about it because you know there's all these holes cut in the bottom of the set and there are all these puppeteers everywhere yeah, yeah. making this whole world come alive with their hands. Mm. It's amazing. Mm. So hopefully we get to honor that and actually do some of the some of the, the less obvious stuff, uh, you know, a yeah. little bit more, bit more obscure but delightful uh, background critters. Yeah. Do you guys uh, have any... I know you, I've seen your mini epics, which are epic, which are amazing, specifically <laughs> the, the alien, uh, the black version of the alien, which I think just the, the detail, the detail's amazing. The price is amazing too. I mean, just for the level of <laughs> uh, artistry that you get, are, is there anything planned like that for Age of Resistance? Nothing we can talk about today. Um, okay. We definitely would love to do more of that kind of thing. Um, uh, we are restricted when we, when we, 
by the when we acquire these licenses for different products, we're also playing in a, in a field with other companies. So, uh, for example, so for example, Funko is producing you know um, pop finals and action figures. Um, so. Uh, when Netflix um, agrees to what we can do, um, it's obviously also uh, you're taking into account what other companies are doing um, and making sure that that nobody's you know treading on each other's toes. Mm. So um, so we have to be careful. Any any ideas that we pitch, we have to make sure that they're not too close to something else somebody else is doing. Um, so that sometimes can can restrict what we can make. Um, but we're always looking for for opportunities to do something cool. So you know we're. Let's let's not. We haven't really touched on it much, but we have done, of course, the the dark crystal as a piece of jewelry. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and and then we've been doing prop replicas as well. Yep. So we we created this uh, essence vial prop replica, which lights which, up. Yeah, we haven't done many oh, prop wow. in the past. It lights up. Yeah, it's a cool little thing. And that uh, then that particular case, it's the exact same size as the original prop that was made um, <clears throat> at Henson's. In fact, it's it's super super accurate for what for the original prop that was uh, that was made over there and used. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll get to do more prop replicas as well because those are really really beautiful things. Mm, and obviously this is cool quite a small stuff. one, but we'd love to do some bigger stuff as well. Uh, but yeah, then there's the jewelry and things like that too. But thank you for the the kind words about the mini epics. So for those who aren't aware of what the mini epics are, they're a line of um, collectible statues. Um, cast in vinyl that are around about the they're about the 30 30 us mark i think they retail mm. for yeah. um and they're kind of like cute little wee stylized kind of goofy slightly funny uh characters from different, different properties so currently we've got lord of the rings um uh, mini epics and uh, uh ghostbusters um what else is there battle angel alita uh, planet of the apes yeah um, alien yeah, Alien. Yes, of course. Yes. Um, so and Border, Borderlands. Borderlands. Some of the ones, yeah. yeah, and there's tons more coming. The mini epics. Um, there is a. We've got huge plans for them. Uh, so there's a lot more coming uh, for them and in, in all different properties. Those are those are terribly collectible. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I've, I've picked up one or two of them because they're round and they're cool and they're just growing. <laughs> It's see this is this is the danger of working somewhere yeah. like this is that like you walk away at the end of each week with your paycheck and then you walk right back into the same <laughs> building and you spend that paycheck. Yeah. Um it's, because we're all nerds for this stuff, right? We make it yeah. because we love it, but then you have to own it. So Well, what I love about Yeah, I was going to say we're making rods for our own backs, but sorry, you were going to say? No, no. Uh what I love about the mini epics is actually I'm not a fan of Funko. Uh I'm not a fan of what's popular. And Funkos are really popular, so they're less collectible. Everybody has them. They're not very interesting. I mean, they're cute for sure. I just am not a fan of them. But what I love about the mini epics is it's like you're like, okay, Funko, we're going to make something that's actually detailed, that looks like the character. Um, and it's not like a, a potato with a nose, you know, like I love, I just, I love how rich the mini epics are. Like again, the detail in the alien one and it's dome and just the slime. I mean, it's in fucking credible. I, it just really is. Like I, <laughs> oh, you, and just you. the price point too is also really incredible just for the level of detail, because as everyone knows, I'm not really a collector. Um, I mean, I do own some things, but as a lot of people who do collect know, the more detailed things are, the more expensive it is. So to see yeah. something like the mini epics that are that detailed and that specific, so affordable, it's just not, it's unheard of. I mean, well, Funkos are so popular because they're so cheap and they're because they're so simple, you know? So, well, thank you. I mean, there's beauty in that simplicity, but I, I really appreciate that. It, we're, it's a challenge for us because our, uh, we, high-end collectibles is where we started out and so we we're good at making big expensive things that very few people can own and it's it's actually much more challenging to make to make um uh smaller more affordable things because um generally speaking you need to make a lot more of them so the risk is actually even higher uh for the company uh, but the mini epics have been very successful and they are once again playing to the to what we've I, we keep coming back to this point but it's artist driven the, the mm. mini epics are, are successful i think because they are they were the brainchild of uh, mauro santini who's uh, one of our sculptors who just had this great idea this great aesthetic and he did a bunch of drawings and then and then he just went away on his own and, and made a bunch of beautiful sculptures um of these stylized characters from the lord of the rings initially showed them to everybody at work and, and everybody just fell in love with them and went, oh my goodness, there's something really special here. This this could be something. And then and then we found a way to make the numbers work um, to, so that they could be produced. So again, that's I guess that's the wetter story is that, that as much as possible, while there are economics that have to be borne in mind, um, 
I think the best work is is artist driven is is something that's that's been born out of a passion yeah. that somebody yeah. had and and a really good idea so yeah that's that's all on Mauro and we will gladly pass along your your lovely and effusive words uh, to him you know this is the thing because we're way down here in New Zealand far away from everything we're a little bit isolated you know and so often we're, we're working away on stuff and uh, while well, we've got the internet we can pop in and see what people are saying um, it's still amazing to to talk to people out there who are seeing our stuff in the world um, go to places like San Diego Comic Con and, and get to have live reactions from people it's um, it's really important and it's great for the sculptors hopefully it's a shot in the arm you know because these guys are working crazy long hours working on their stuff you know passionately pouring all their heart and souls into their pieces so it's lovely to get some feedback like that you tell us if there's any interest in just really quickly running through the actual on the floor production stages for making a collectible is what, that oh what, sure what, yeah why don't you just quickly step us through it yeah just just because there's <coughs> so many people involved in making the stuff that isn't just design or the sculpture there um once we finished a sculpture uh, say digitally in ZBrush, it then gets 3D printed, and that 3D print gets um, sent down the road to the workshop where it's finished off and model made into a physical object that gets molded, and that's done by uh, Leonard and Dave, our two model makers Leonard down there. Leonard Ellis and David Tremont. Yeah, uh, and then that goes to the mold. So silicon mold is made from it. That's done by Shanti, uh, what's his surname? Costa. Costa, yeah. So he does these beautiful molds for it. Um, and those molded pieces are then sent to the paint shop. So we, we do casts of them, and those casts are cleaned up by uh, Steve Edwards, Stephen Edwards. And it's sent to, so we make generally... How many masters? Three, usually three masters. Yes. Um, that goes to the paint shop and the paint team run by... Um, Jules German. Jules German. Uh, they they do the beautiful paint finishes. That's the most exciting part for me to go and pop in and see how all the little pieces are coming Yeah, on. because sometimes, like for a given Skeksis, there might be, um, you know, 20 or more different little pieces, right? And then oh, yeah. they, these guys then, so you're seeing it all in pieces, finally it comes together and then it gets the paint put on. Um, yeah, the, the that's whole, when it comes to life. The whole thing feels like we're making presents for ourselves. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a huge amount of people involved. And then those, those production masters often end up at Comic-Con first. It's, that's where we usually we we have the largest amount of new stuff appear at Comic-Con. And then they'll go off to various factories we've got that produce the, the numbers, the pre-order numbers. Yeah. Did we already cover just in terms of like uh, one, say one figure from start to finish, like how long that takes from when the mold is made to when uh, it's painted? Yeah, we try to avoid answering that. Oh, oh okay, okay. <laughs> For me, it's really hard to do because I, I want to work on everything. So I generally would do physical sculpture or digital sculpture and do a bit of the finishing and model making mm. before things go to the mold. So that's generally where I'm involved, but I would really very likely be working on multiple figures at the same time. Um, that's just the way I like working. So I can't really necessarily tell a direct timeline because there's little bits of working on many different things. And it's actually very different for each piece too. It some, is very Some different, go through yeah. very quickly. Others others can be, you know, take months or years to go through the pipeline. Um, the Treebeard statue that we made um, for the Lord of the Rings, that that was probably about three years um, well, on or off, yeah. you know, um, with work being done and then it being put to the side and then picked up again for various reasons. Uh, and then other times you've got stuff that goes through very, very quickly. Um, but but the sculpting on any of our dark crystal pieces is, is usually um, weeks um, and in some cases months, depending on how, how, uh, how much surface area, how detailed it is, what there is to do. Hmm. Yeah, you could, you could almost imagine that Weta is also this pool of people working on creative projects and we'll likely get pulled into some of those projects from time to time or 
struggle to get the collectibles through because there's such a huge quantity of other things happening that really the timelines is really difficult. It is, it is, it is a balancing act, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Because, we're, because, yeah, in addition to this, the collectibles on any one property, there are also collectibles for other properties. And then, yeah, as, as Stephen's alluding to, we'll have exhibition work and film work and that sort of stuff. And it's the same group of people that are doing all this different, all this stuff. And so we're often sharing resource uh, between, yeah, different, yeah. Uh, between different projects. So uh, luckily, neither Stephen nor I have to to worry about managing that side of no. things, which is very challenging. Um, we just get to do the fun stuff of actually producing the art. So I, yeah, I feel incredibly fortunate to be doing what I'm doing, because basically um, it's the job description that I would have written for myself when I was seven, watching mm. the Dark Crystal. Mm, is, same, is, yeah. You know, we get to play in these worlds. We get to talk about them all day long with other people who care about them every bit as much as we do. And we get to argue backwards and forwards about what would be the coolest thing to do. So that's a pretty fantastic way to spend your week. Um, and in the end, uh, the result is is cool stuff that that hopefully uh, excites other people's imaginations as well. It's a, it's a great privilege and an honor. And it's not taken for granted that people like our work. And that's why I really do appreciate the kind words that you've shared. And, and I will pass them back to all the rest of our team. Um, it's a privilege that we get to do what we get to do. Um, and, and, you know, huge thanks to, to you and, and to the folks who are interested in what we do, um, because otherwise we wouldn't get to do it. So thank and you. Absolutely. That feedback is really important to, to hear from, from the audience or from con consumers what really is yep. working. What, what they like. really invaluable to us. And what they want us to do. So <clears throat> as we're recording this, this podcast, it's about a week before the, the, the show debuts to the world, the first season. Um, so most people have only seen the trailers and that kind of stuff. They've got a sense of this world. But uh, but next week, once once we're all done spending our entire weekends binging it, um, we want to hear <laughs> from people. We, we, we want to know <clears throat> if you're a person who likes the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, loves that world, loves the characters, and if you're interested in, 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 in wanting to see prop replicas and, and statues and stuff of, of the things from that world, tell us what you want. Like, uh, reach out to us, let us know on social media or by email what you like, what excites you, what you'd like to see. Um, and, and we'll do our best to try and, and work our way through that wish list. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, just one last note. What, in terms of like, I think really what is important to me, like I don't really buy um, figures. I mean, I mean, I do buy figures, uh, but the ones that I do buy because I'm very specific, like what's important to me is I want something that represents what I love looking at me or on a shelf, reminding me what inspires me. And what I think was really special about what you guys do is certainly as it relates to the Dark Crystal, there's been a lot of things released and like, oh, great costume, but it doesn't look like the character. So to see figures, that really look like the characters or are the characters essentially is a really, really special thing. And especially in a world where Dark Crystal has been very niche. Um, it's been very, it's just kind of been a, an, an elusive IP in some ways. So it's hard to really get your hands on it. So now we're entering a phase where you'll be able to get your hands on something that you love and not just something that you love, something that looks just like the show. So I, I really, uh, it's a testament to, to the skill uh, of everyone involved uh, in terms of the, the figure. So bravo to you guys. And uh, it's just, they're just really, really great. So thank, thank you. you. Well, that's, that's very much the goal. So it really, that, that means a lot to hear that. Thank you very much. To find out more on Trial by Stone, the Dark Crystal Podcast, visit www.darkcrystalpodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Dark Crystal Podcast. Thank you.